No, you want an intro? Here's your f- intro. Get f- right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, I'll just thank you in the ding, 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 And then we'll have that as our theme tune intro. Bit of copyright infringement to start the day. Oh, that's all right. Men at work infringe the copyright for that one. Yeah, they did. That's true. That's true. That's, that's not something we have to be subtle about. That's a matter of public records. Yeah, that's the biggest copyright infringement in Australian music history. Yeah, Colin, <laughs> hey, you're a fantastic songwriter, but you didn't yep. invent that tune. Um, <laughs> Men at work stole two bars of a four-bar song. <laughs> you couldn't even be bothered to steal the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, how's that for a soft intro? Yeah, welcome back everyone to two men who are questionably at work. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not at work. Everyone, uh, I I unironically quite like the Australian 80s band at work and I have their uh, debut album and I I put it on on my record player uh, because I have one of those because I'm annoying. When when Stuart came to visit me one time and I really didn't plan it, but he walked in just as Land Out Under started playing. (laughs) Yeah, I think I was shaking my head as soon as it, the first couple of notes were it was like, what? Listening to the song, but shaking my head so everyone knows I don't agree with it. <laughs> but also, very good. Great song. <laughs> yeah, so welcome back everyone to the final episode of season one of Euro Whiskey. We're leaving you only nine episodes because we don't respect the decimal system. Yeah, a nice even nine episodes. We've lost all the mathematicians. They're going. They're leaving. <laughs> Rage quitting this podcast. <laughs> Rage quitting a podcast. <laughs> Someone just out, you know, right at the gym, in the shops, whatever, listening and just taking the headphones, throwing it on the ground. Like, I can't believe this. Yep. Absolutely disgusted. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, as Harry said, uh, welcome back. Uh, he is, of course, Harry. He is, of course, Stuart. Yeah, we should probably like work on this intro thing for season two. <laughs> <laughs> Little bit. A little bit. But yeah, so we are actually going to talk about some whiskey. Crazy idea. So, uh... How- wait, wait, wait. We're talk- we're sorry, we're talking about whiskey. This isn't just a random men at work chat podcast. And that's that's the other one. Oh, yeah. So, so in uh, in between seasons, ladies and gentlemen, look out for the men at work podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we just listen to one song at a time. Honestly, that'd actually be probably pretty good. <laughs> I could go for that. Just a deep dive into Australian music copyright. I have only this one band. No other music allowed. <laughs> well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. Uh, I got I got some things coming up uh, with Euro Whiskey. Tell us what you have coming up, Harry. Thank you very much. So I we mentioned the last episode about uh, Barcelona, how Stuart's just been, and I'm about to go. But also, I'm going to go to do a whiskey tasting in France, the first Euro Whiskey venture into France. I'm very excited about that. Ooh, wee oui, wee. Oui. We did a French whiskey a little while ago. But go back and check that out if you want to listen to us talk about Bren single malt. It's good. It's good episode. A solid episode. Solid, definitely, as all our episodes are. I, I'm going to Ren specifically in Brittany to do a tasting with the Ren Whiskey Club. Very excited about that. Got some interesting whiskeys coming along. Some stronger stuff, you know, over fifty percent ABV, you know, rich single malt. And yeah, I'm also going to see a distillery while I'm there. Armoric uh, whiskey, if you've ever seen it from Brittany is distilled in a town called Lenyon, which I went to once in 2017 when I just started working at the Scottish Whiskey Experience, and now I'm going to be 
going back to check out the distillery and then going down through France to do more distillery visits on the way to Marseille and then Barcelona. Very cool. And and how are you getting there? I am going entirely by train. This trip through France and Spain is all by train. The train mainly goes to Spain. The train to Spain will not be a pain. Oh, I, f- I f- hope not. <laughs> but it might um, be a drain on your brain. Could be. That is possible. I'm getting trains across Belgium, France, Stanford, France, back up to Belgium for the Ghent Whiskey Festival, which I mentioned last time. Yeah, and I was going to be taking a nice Italian train from Lyon to Paris on the way back up. But now there has been a big landslide that has blocked all the Italian trains from getting into France. So I'm going to be taking a regular old French train. A regular old French train. I know, it's going to be a lovely TGV, high-speed, double-decker, yeah, whatever. It's, it could have been a French Rosa. Only, only that's that's one for the train heads in the audience. All, all, all three of you, but we appreciate you listening. <laughs> all three of you. I see you and I have pedantic opinions on exactly which train is best to talk to you about. I will say, after we've pissed off all the mathematicians and all the people with OCD at the beginning of this, we need to bring in all the trainer files. You think those are different people? <laughs> well, okay, then, we, then we've lost the three. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is Harry and Post from the future. Uh, the trip through France and Spain went really well. The tasting of Ren was great. The trains were not a pain, and actually, I did get to take that Italian train anyway. Frecciarossa are great. Would recommend. We are going to go somewhere quite different from France today, and I'm going to have Stuart introduce the topic of our episode, because I have the power to do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about how much you can resist this. <laughs> I don't know how to say no to this. <laughs> so now I don't know how to intro this. <laughs> yeah, for those of you, uh, we, we've just cut something out and put it in the outtakes, uh, the bloopers. If you don't know, we have little blooper reels at the end of the podcast. I enjoy making them. You should stick around for them. Stick around. They're, they're, they're clearly the most entertaining bit, and and clearly you can't fast forward on a podcast. So like, you know, you have to listen. Like this is in real time. Our theme of today is perhaps fittingly for the first season is single casks. Ah, see what we did there. Definitely deliberate. Single casks, uh, a type of whiskey which is going to divide some opinion. You've heard of single malt, now get ready for single cask. But Harry, what is the difference? <laughs> as, as far as I understand it, Stuart, the basic concept of a single cask is when you buy a bottle of whiskey that doesn't say single cask, it probably has the contents of many different barrels, many different casks, which have been all, you know, thrown into a big vat, married together, and then put into all these bottles, right? So if you looked at a warehouse full of casks and you look at the bottle in your hand, it's actually got little bits of all these different casks in it. Um, whereas single cask, you know, does what it says on the tin. You just take a barrel, take the contents of that barrel into bottles, and there you go. That is your single cask bottling. It's very much perhaps a misconception from people when they're first entering the whiskey world, or at least I'm presuming that you had a similar experience at the at the Scotch whiskey experience where people would say, well, you know, it's a single malt, so therefore it should just come from one cask. But single malt, the single in that means one distillery. It's it's a really understandable misconception, and you're absolutely right. I definitely did not see that as an intuitive difference when I started working the Scotch whiskey experience at all. Single malt really does imply, you know, you have this vision in the people are presented with, which, you know, marketing is only too happy to encourage of, you know, someone just taking a cask and basically just, tip, you know, proverbially tipping it over, pouring it straight into a bunch of bottles. And that sort of, that equals single malt. You know, this is what we're going to be discussing, right? Is that single malt and single cask are not actually exclusive terms, but yes, 
a lot of the times people see single malts, you know, and a lot of different whiskeys are single malts, and they sort of assume it's roughly what a single cask is. Whereas, of course, now we see more and more whiskeys or, you know, special releases and expressions are marketed as single cask to try and make them a bit bit more expensive, a bit more exclusive. So, you know, why does why does taking a single cask, which a lot of people think they're getting anyway, but aren't, why does that make it more special? That's sort of what we're going to discuss. Well, yeah, that's that's quite an interesting thing. And and as you said, you know, it, it leads to exclusivity, which potentially leads to more expensive whiskey. The key with a single malt, you know, for example, of a bottle that you pick up off the shelf and you can find that in, in, in a supermarket, you can find that in a whiskey shop, but you can find it repeated uh, in many, many different places. The key with that, uh, it, if it is a single malt, uh, the key is consistency. That, that distillery or that producer or that master blender wants to know that every single bottle that they put out will taste pretty much the same. Yeah, you know, indiscernible to to the average person. There might be some slight differences depending on what is in your glass or you know what what might have potentially been in the bottle. But in theory, the whiskey that you buy today, if you find that same bottle in ten years' time, you know what a, a different bottle. But yeah, you know, if you buy the same thing off the shelf in ten years' time, it should in theory taste the same. Whereas a single cut, a single cask whiskey, on the other hand. Uh, as it says on the tin, is a single cask. So that is the liquid from one cask. Casks, even though uh, we want to have you know the the best tasting liquid from the best casks, there there's possibly a chance that one particular cask is not going to taste so great, or the spirit that was in there previously is not going to taste very good. So, for example, if you've had uh, sherry seasoning a cask. Uh, that sherry might have gone bad. There might have been too much oxygen getting into the cask, for example, and that sherry might have turned to vinegar, might have oxidized too much. And so if you put new make spirit or if you re-rack into uh, that cask, you're going to get those negative influences coming through, certainly more more notably. And then, so if you buy a single malt, if they have that that one cask that's not so good and they marry it together with the other liquid, from a hundred other different casks, you're, you're not going to taste those uh, that those really negative notes because it's just going to get married together. It's going to get drowned out. But if you have, in theory, the risk that you have for a single cask is that if it is uh, a poor quality one or the spirit in there is poor quality, you may potentially get a poor quality single cask whiskey release. Absolutely. By doing a single cask release, you are basically deliberately creating inconsistency. As you know, opposed to exactly what you're saying, you know, if I buy, you know, let's pick a popular whiskey in Scotland, an obvious one, like Glenfiddich 12, right? People buy Glenfiddich 12 now, they buy it in five years' time, there's thousands of thousands of bottles of it, you want them all to taste roughly the same. And yeah, obviously a good way to do that is you have all these, every single cask, right? Like you said, it's different, you know, everyone has, you know, slightly different woods, slightly different age, history, you know, there's, there's all these different characteristics in a, in a, you know, what is highly engineered lump of wood you know it's an it's it's an individual thing but then yeah once you have so many different barrels come together it mitigates all those risks with a single cask you are saying you're giving something the chance to maybe have a bit more personality if it's a really good cask then fantastic it's gonna be really good hopefully i mean that there must be lots of cases when people have tried to do a single cask release they go to taste that one cask and then it doesn't work. I mean, maybe that's not how they plan it, but you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean... It's, you know, there, as you say, there is a risk to it. There's there's definitely a risk. And I mean, even if you think back, 
historically, maybe you know, 100, 150 years ago, when blended whiskies were the, the premier whisky, uh, particularly in Scotland, it's because the, the blended whiskies had the consistency. Whereas if you went to the shop and you would buy a single malt, as, as we know it, in, in theory, that could have been a single cask whiskey release. And people go, oh, it's too spicy, it's too peppery, it's too fiery, whatever it is. There was a negative thing. But if you could go and buy a blended whiskey and it would be very smooth, very easy drinking, but it was also repetitive. So you knew what you were getting. But yeah, you could you could buy a bottle of whiskey one week and you could buy the same bottle of whiskey the next week and it would be completely different. So as, as you say, we've spent so much of the history of whiskey or, I mean, food and drink in general, to be honest, trying relentlessly to get to some consistency because for so much of history it's been so hard to do and then 20th century that's been essentially conquered if you want consistent whiskey you can have it um thanks to the actions of blenders thanks to more precise production methods so now yeah as you say having a single cast before was either explicitly kind of a bad thing because you just had this inconsistency or it wasn't something that was desirable even if it didn't turn out to be bad right you would never you weren't going to market a whiskey in the 1880s as being single cask. It wouldn't make any sense. That wasn't something prestigious. Whereas nowadays, because the consistency is almost taken for granted, especially with the big scale whiskies, especially in places like Scotland, then having the more unique fingerprint of a single cask, that inconsistency becomes a lot more of an interesting question for someone who's used to whiskey. They can say, okay, well, I'm going to roll the dice here and see what I get. It, it is perhaps a little bit of a gamble i mean if you know in theory if if a single cask whiskey has been bottled someone has tasted it at some point yeah they're, so, they're not going and, to release the one and say well that's just what that cask was like you have to drink the crap whiskey now it's not gonna happen no no for a company whether it's a third party bottler who has bought the cask even if it is a limited release from a big distillery for them to say this is a single cask whiskey it's a risk for them uh, in in terms of this is this is what we are as a distillery. This is what we can produce, but also the rewards uh, on the flip side are going to be quite substantial, uh, especially for those in the whiskey world or you know seasoned whiskey drinkers who go, oh, you know, I like distillery A and I I, I enjoy their expression one two three, but I want to try one two seven. It's that, isn't it? When you said the experienced whiskey drinker, single cask is sort of. If you've got to a level where you're familiar with things, it's this other optional level up, right? Not not automatic level up in terms of quality or preference. Of course, that depends on the person and the whiskey. But in terms of familiar, you know, what you're familiar with, you can then step up to something that is going to be a bit more unique, a bit more uh, individual. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends how you like it. Let's yeah, let's pick a random distillery in Scotland. Let's say Ockentoshan, right? You've had all the regular releases, this core range from Ockentoshan, but then they say, oh, we're doing a a single cask bottling. And you know what we said about a single cask? You just take the whiskey from that one cask and put it into bottles. Well, by definition, a cask can only be so big. It's one of the regulations uh, for Scotch whiskey, but also at different levels of a whiskey regulation, like in Europe, where you can only use a wooden cask of a single size. If it's if you make a, a vat of you know made of wood that's too large, at a certain point, you can't make use what you age in that you can't call it whiskey anymore right yeah so by definition you have this upper limit on how many bottles could be in a single cask release um normally a, a few hundred right based on whether it's a barrel hogshead a sherry butt or something you're talking a couple of hundred normally right 
Yeah, I mean, we we mentioned in the last episode, you know, different sizes of casks. You know, for example, uh, a bourbon barrel can roughly hold about two hundred and twenty liters. So if you if you multiply that by zero point seven, you know, the, your standard size of a bottle, uh, or sorry, divide it. I, I should say, if yeah. you divide two hundred and twenty by zero point seven, you get if it's full to the brim without any evaporation, you're getting roughly 314 bottles so let's just call that 310 bottles but that's a you know the very very brim yeah the absolute upper limit yeah so i mean evaporation you've got losses uh in the cask if it's you know a, a, a poor quality cask or maybe the hoops aren't uh, on tight enough you might get some some leakage so i mean just call that 300 bottles uh at, at three years old yeah, and then of course, yeah, as you age more, there's more evaporation, that number goes down. So yeah, an older single cask release might actually not have very many bottles uh, comparative to the size of the cask based on what it could hold. Yeah. Yeah, especially as, I mean, you imagine quite a few single cask releases probably involve some blender noticing one really good cask in the middle of what is otherwise a whole big bunch that are going to be all married together and saying, oh, let's let's separate that one out because that would make sense, right? Because that's that stops you from... You're not just taking one aside and seeing what happens if it's going to be good. You want the good stuff to be the single cask. Yeah, that's uh, and that, that's probably a very good point. The master blender who is paid very, very well to pick out the best and make sure there is consistency. If they've decided or if they've determined that one cask in particular is far and above uh, every other cask that they've got uh, under their umbrella, shall we say, and they go, that one's a special one. You know, they're going to release that and be like, no, this this is this is something worth celebrating. You know, this is something worth releasing just on its own. So yeah, we've we've, we've sort of explain explore what a single cask is and sort of what are the benefits, what what's it for. We we talked about the confusion with single malt, right? How they the terms sound kind of similar and can trip people up. This is where it's worth mentioning that, you know, you can take any cask of whiskey and release it as a single cask, right? So I think this is part of why it's confusing, right? At least how I conceptualize it is you have all the categories that people sort of are taught as new whiskey drinkers, especially in Scotland, based on Scottish regulations. You have your your blends, you know, and your single single malt or your single grain, right? Things like that. And single cask sort of sits parallel to those other rules because you can take all these different other types of whiskey and then put them in a single cask. Ideally, a single something, because if it was a blend, then it's had to be blended before being put into a cask. But if you blended the new spirit you see how this can get complicated quite quickly right yeah i mean for for me the because you can have a single grain whiskey released from a single cask yes so for me the terminology single cask refers more to a style of release as opposed to a style of whiskey that's a good way to think of it i like that yeah because i mean in theory you could have a blended whiskey None of the the new make spirits have touched wood. So you have your your grain whiskey. You've got your single malt that is, that is malt from one distillery using only barley. And in theory, before they've even touched wood, if you put them all into uh, one cask, in theory, it could be a blended whiskey single cask. Which maybe uh, maybe, maybe that's 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 uh, trying to think about it too complicated. But yeah, like it, basically what I was saying because I think. Like that is theoretically possible, but I don't think anyone really does it. But that is what I, where I was going in my sort of line of thinking with it. Yeah, but, but again, to me, single cask is a style of release as opposed to a style of whiskey. Yeah, 
So someone angry who didn't agree with you driving away there. Yeah. <laughs> They've had enough. That we're, we're not putting up with his bullshit. I don't think it's a style of release. I like that. It's because again, I think you throw all this jargon at new whiskey drinkers and it's like a series of adjectives that you just keep looping onto the beginning of whiskey. Whereas actually, yeah, I think if you break it down into types of whiskey and types of release of whiskey, then that could, that could really help simplify things. So yeah, something I should have started thinking about before. No, I like that. But I mean, there's there's also confusion about you know. As a side note, there's a there's confusion about the different types of whiskey, or you know, the the old terminologies. For example, the one that sticks out to my mind was someone said, oh, I've got a, a single malt Johnny Walker." Ah, and my response was, "No, you don't. That's impossible." He, uh, this particular gentleman, was getting confused with the terminology or the old terminology of pure malt. So that is so that that is the old uh, definition of what we now know as a blended malt. So just single malt whiskies from different distilleries. That was so pure malt as a term is no longer used in Scotch whisky, but it used to be in uh, as what we now know as blended malt. Because in Scotland, even until relatively recently, the terminology was quite fluid. Yeah, and but now it's very rigidly defined. Yeah, and it's the the rigidity uh, I find is is a good thing. But uh, the rigidity of, of Scotch whiskey, as, as we've mentioned before, it can be very restricting. Uh, but in this particular case, having clearly defined what we would say is clearly defined terminology uh, is better for the consumer. Yeah, there is a certain, you know, there's a certain measure in saying, right, a blended malt is this. If you make a whiskey that fits these, that is made in a certain way, that is a blended malt. Whereas before, yeah, you tended to call that a pure malt, but... There was nothing strictly setting down what that was. You could call quite a lot of things pure malt if you really wanted to. Single cask, you know, is very clear what it is in the name. To to you know, obviously, once we've got past this confusion, like yeah, that's there's no arguing about it being double anything. There's nothing. There's no arguing about what a cask is. But at the same time, single cask as a term sounds like single malt, but it is not legally encoded in the whiskey laws in Scotland in the way that single malt is. Yeah. So that probably does make it more confusing for people. Yeah. I mean, perhaps we've got the benefit being in the industry. We can go, we we know the difference, or at least, you know, we have an understanding of what that difference can and should be. Yeah. So we try, try and break it down. I hope this has been reasonably easy to follow, uh, especially, you know, for, for people who are sort of at the stage where, yeah, maybe they've had a single malt, they've had a blend, they, they've seen these terms around, but you want to sort of understand the more esoteric ones, which I would say a single cask is, because you can easily drink a lot of different whiskeys and not come across single cask. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you're still on the slightly new side to, to drinking whiskey, uh, or even if, you've, if you're a whiskey fan uh, and you've, you've tried all the things off the shelf uh, at, you know, at your supermarket or, you know, normal whiskey stockist probably just tried you know the quote-unquote standard expressions or you know the the things that are replicated uh, as opposed to maybe going to a third-party bottler for example yeah and i think that's that's what people should start with really yeah i mean uh the ones that are immediately springing to mind again uh being in edinburgh you've got you know things like caden heads for example they so that yeah as as bottlers so what they might do or you know what other third party bottlers might do is they might buy casks exclusively from a distillery say Springbank or you know Glenfiddich or whoever it might be and 
it might be higher ABV or you know, things like um, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. They, they, well, I was just about to say. Yeah, so uh, tying that back to, to Euro whiskey and, and some of your tastings. So what Scotch Malt Whiskey Society will do is they will buy casks and then they will bottle however many hundred, maybe 200 bottles and then release that to uh, all of the members. And, you know, it's pretty much gone in an instant. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about single casks this whole time when... Scotchmore Whiskey Society is basically exists for single casks. You know, it's it's what it was founded around was the the concept of what was quite rare at the time in 1983 when the society started was the idea of oh we'll just we'll just get this one cask and have that exactly as it is cask strength that one cask on its own. It was a very weird idea at the time, but now that's yeah what the society is built around. Every single release they have is a single cask. It's all cask strength. Each one gets a really interesting name, which I think is absolutely the best bit of the society because <laughs> there's lots of people who don't enjoy whiskey, but everyone enjoys the names. So, and if you do enjoy whiskey, absolutely. It is one of the first things I would do after you've sort of got into it as a beginner and you're looking for the next step, have at least one or two SMWS bottles because you'll get the idea of a cast strength, single cask whiskey. Even if you then, even if that's not for you or you decide to go a different way of things, it's a really good, it's a really good way to enter that kind of uh, different level. Definitely. And and I will, as again, as a side note, I will say that, you know, typically single casks are released as cask strength, but it's not to say you can't add water to it, you know, drink it however you want. Absolutely. Because like a lot, a lot of the, you know, all of the SMWS whiskeys that I've tasted, absolutely phenomenal. Yes. Really punchy though. And yeah, you know, a dram is, a, is normally just 25 mils. And then, you know, that goes pretty quickly. So if you have a couple of them pretty quickly, you know, it's going to be a, a very quick evening for you so just you know pace yourself add water drink it however you want absolutely i mean we talk about drinking responsibly and that's definitely part of it with you know having cast strength whiskey you'll meet someone who gets really annoyed about adding water to cast strength just ignore them uh i love adding water to snws bottlings to be honest because i mean yeah they're good at cast strength you know but I, I personally find them much more interesting when they're brought down, just 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 taking the edge off of water. That's just me. And yeah, it is definitely good for drinking responsibly to have slower consumption of whiskey, a bit more water. So yeah, don't don't rush it. And especially if you're used to 40%, you need time to adapt. For sure. And if anyone ever tells you uh, you shouldn't add water to your whiskey or you shouldn't drink it as a cocktail, tell them, Stuart says, get fat. And you're welcome. <laughs> Single casks may be uh, confusing, but think of it as a certain type of release of whiskey rather than a way that whiskey is made or anything like that. And it certainly helps me think about it. Right, so Harry, we've been talking about single cask releases and the differences between single malt and single cask, but uh, we're going to do a little bit of a tasting now, as we as we always do on the show. Yeah, and the, the question is, which distillery is this from and why have we picked it? In an episode, we're talking all about single casks. Yes. So the distillery in question is... What is it? <laughs> the distillery is Bimba. Bimba. From London. From London, isn't it? You sound like you're from London. It's someone from London called for you. Yeah, so we, we talked about East London Liquor Company before, and we mentioned Bimber as a sort of West London counterpart to that. Uh, but yeah, I've not had much Bimber before. Quite interested to try our dram. It's not a single cask, but Bimber do a lot of single cask releases. Am I right, Stuart? 
so many single cask releases like you you wouldn't believe they've got a whole line dedicated to all of the tube stations in london but not only that they just do tons and tons of single cask releases uh yeah they've like way too way too many dimension too many dimension it's it's like you know i guess it makes sense they're a relatively new smaller distillery they've leaned into single casks as a way to make the most of by definition just having less whiskey overall which yeah i mean that does present its own challenges but yeah it's it's one approach and bimber is definitely very high up on being you know single casks are kind of their thing in a way yeah, I mean, their their first laydown of Spirit, I believe, was in 2016. So, I mean, the first release would have been in 2019. So, you know, at three years old and 2019 to 2023. So, I mean, at most, they've got seven-year-old whiskey. Yeah, by definition, they just can't have that much whiskey and that, that have it be that old. So, yeah, you mentioned 2016 being when the first casks were filled. Um, obviously, we've been, you know, trying to learn a bit about the distillery. Um, I had assumed Bimbo was an English name from West London. Turns out it actually means moonshine in Polish, which means it's also all, <laughs> also almost certainly been mispronounced. So it means, you know, hooch, essentially. Google Translate, when I go Polish to English, shows hooch as the translation. That's, that's, that's more fun than moonshine, let's face it. <laughs> moonshine can sound a bit, a bit clinical. Also, yeah, it's more unique. Yeah, I... Okay, well, this is hooch whiskey then. They won't get mad at us at all for that. Um, the reason, you know, it's it's from uh, it's a Polish name is because it was created by people who moved from Poland to London, and then after doing that, created the distillery. So, yeah, interesting origins uh, for a whiskey distillery. So, yeah, I think you know, there's there's sort of some history of the family in Poland having done some distilling. I guess maybe what they would call hooch, uh, and then yeah, uh, creating something you know, which is very much a whiskey. It's not a moonshine. It is a whiskey in London in this quite small distillery, you know, going into a few details, they double distill. They only make malt whiskey and they use sort of quite local English barley malted in the Warminster maltings, if you know that. And yeah, I think from what they, from how they talk about it, it's supposed to be quite a, a light style of single malt relatively, but again, I've never tried it. So I'm very interested to see what this is like. Have you, you had some Bimba before, Stuart? Honestly, I can't say that I have. With this one, I don't know if we're going to get like the full impression of Bimba because uh, this isn't a single malt. Uh, this is a pure malt. Uh, so uh, uh, again, we go back to that traditional naming convention. Pure malt, as uh, as we now know it, is blended malt. Yeah. So it's a combination of two two different single malts from two different distilleries, or, or you know, potentially more. Good thing we mentioned that. Yeah, specifically the Apogee 12, this expression is called, and it's 46.3% ABV. Yeah, that's right. So uh, from what I understand, the Apogee 12, or XII, if you if you don't speak Roman numerals. It does say Apogee XII, yeah. Romanes aeon domus. It says Romans go home. This is essentially a blend of single malts from Speyside and the Highlands. So, you know, perhaps cheating a little bit on the Euro Whiskey podcast where we're having... Oh, no, it's Scottish. <laughs> Deceiving. Oh, no, it's Scottish. <laughs> no, burn it, though. <laughs> uh, we're, not, we're not really trying this for, I mean, the Bimba distillery character. We're not, we're not going to get that because it's not whiskey from Bimba. And we're not trying this for English whiskey because we've talked about that. You know, it's because we're linking this to single casks, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, it's, you know, Bimba is a very relevant distillery to talk about. That's it, yeah. Um, but this one in particular, the Apogee 12, 
as we said, this is a, a pure malt or a blended malt. Uh, basically, they've put it, all the spirit together and then they've uh, matured it. Or it might have been matured separately to begin with, but then they've brought it all together in ex-bourbon casks. Uh, but those bourbon casks uh, previously held Bimba's own single malt spirit. Okay, so we're going to get some influence from that. Yeah, so there, there might be a, a touch of the influence of the actual Bimba single malt uh, from from those casks. Basically, all of the spirit gets re-racked uh, and rested in those ex-Bimba casks, if you will. Gotcha. So, okay, so, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's different from any other whiskey we've tried so far, that's for sure. Yeah, so we should we should get on and uh, get pouring this. I think we should. Oh, I don't know if you heard that. It wasn't my fingers. It wasn't my my <laughs> wrists. <laughs> it was my back. It was uh, my so back. The, the nice wax seal on these these uh, these bottles. Oh, I heard that. Yeah. I, Harry, that is a yeah. very elaborate glass that you've got your yeah. whiskey in. <laughs> so while on the last tasting, I used the standard copita, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary pals. Uh, my uh, re- most recent trip to the secondhand shop in town yielded a few fun glasses for my collection. And this is technically a beer glass, but it looks like you took a copita and just stretched the sides up vertically a couple of inches. So it's like a hand tall almost but the kind of diameter of a copita. So uh, yeah, it's going to be very fun for nosing because the, the the size of the top of the glass is, is appropriate. But yeah, I'm, I'm going a bit theatrical for this one, I'll be honest. I did see your post on Instagram uh, a couple of days ago with your brand new glass collection and your brand new shelves. So uh, for anyone listening that hasn't seen Harry's Instagram post on Euro Whiskies, yeah. uh, please check that out. Yeah, so we're going to see how this, this glass is. I'll maybe comment on that if it's interesting as well. But yeah. Let's get our noses in some Bimba Apogee XII. Hmm. Initially, very spirity on the nose. That first sort of nosing just went straight to the back. Yeah, a little bit. But you go back a few more times, you, you know, deeper breaths. Very rich, quite, quite soft as well. Yeah, slightly earthy kind of Scottish malt note coming from Yeah. Almost a bit like sort of the edge of a Ben Nevis. Yeah, I'm getting more sort of honey and brown sugar, demerara sugar. Yeah, yeah, definitely honey. Yeah. But but not yeah, not not the kind of honey and sugar I get from like a Deanston. It's darker than that. Yeah. There is maybe some vanilla. 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 Yeah, the the my my tall glass the effect it's having is it uh, it's it's actually pulling back all the the spiritiness. I think the extra sort of headspace that the, the dram has. So, yeah, not sure I'm doing this deliberately, but it's interesting. But it smells lovely on the nose. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting all those sort of highlandy notes, the the sort of nuts and earthiness. But, I yeah. mean, yeah, there's got to be some space out in here somewhere, like we, as we saw. And, yeah, I mean, maybe that spiritiness is from the Bimba spirit itself. Who knows? Could could be. I mean, maybe we need another klaxon uh, for season two, but I'm getting, like, orchard fruit notes as, as well. Well, it's which fruits? I mean, you went from stone fruits, orchard fruits. So yeah, we'll I'll work on that. We've got uh, all the notes on the nose, but all that remains is to see how the palate behaves. Yes, of course. So uh, yeah, Scotland. This is Scotch whiskey, essentially. Essentially, uh, Slangevar. I, I don't know what the what the Landon cheers is. Uh, cheers, Gav. Cheers, Gav. Well, that's nice. That is delightful. Yeah, I'll be honest. I really prefer the palate to the nose on that. I didn't think the nose was bad, but it wasn't really my thing. But mm, 
that sweetness is there on the palate. Yeah, that's it's not sickly sweet like a liqueur, but like there's such a, a richness in the sweetness, if you want to describe it like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I think those those same notes from the nose are there, right? The sort of what to me is that highland kind of almost nutty, earthy note. But there is some of a sweetness in there. It's not super thick or caramelly, but there's this there's uh there's there's just more sweetness coming for overall, to be honest. Right, I'll I'll take a step away from vanilla. 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 And go with caramel. If power suggestion, you said caramel, I'm like, yeah, it's caramel. Again on the nose, I was getting like honey and I was getting like brown sugar. Demerara sugar. Yeah. I'm getting. I'm getting that sort of sweetness coming through. Yeah, the honey is definitely there. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'd say Demerara sugar, but the honey, absolutely. Yeah. That kind of there is because there is that musty edge, but the sweetness is is pretty potent. You know, I mean, like, you know, real honey. I mean, it's it's a lot of sugar. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's not overwhelmingly sweet by any means, but yeah, really nice. The sweetness just lets it carry through. It's it's not too dry. And yeah, I'm wondering if there's. I don't know about you. I'm getting a slight. It's not a heavy finish at all. But it's it's a little almost like a tingle, a tang, a little mentholiness, which I wonder if that's that bimba spirit. It could very well be. Like I, I I get what you're saying. Like as far as like staying on the palate, it's it doesn't stick around for a very long time. But you sort of get a little bit of pepperiness at the uh, at the back. Yeah, there's a little something, and I don't know. Like I think about it, there's almost a flavor in there with the sweetness on the finish, which is kind of immature. It's almost like a very young spirit in that it's. It doesn't taste like it's raw or underage, right? Because there's all this older whiskey in here. Yeah, yeah. But I'm wondering if that just gives it an edge, which when you mix it in with all this stuff, it just adds depth. It's like adding a tiny bit of malt, uh, peated malts, you know, like a few percent into this sweet blend. It just gives depth. You don't notice the smoke. That's that's my theory for what the Bimber is doing here. But again, I, I don't really have a point of comparison. It's definitely a, a theory. Uh, I mean, I mean, I like that theory. Um, and I think... In the future, sometime if if we don't do it on the on the podcast, but certainly we we should try and do it in person and actually try some Bimba single malt, or at least try and yeah. find one of their other releases that is similar in style to this, and try and get a better understanding of do the single casks have that sort of influence? I mean, you, you mentioned sort of a, a mentholy sort of thing at the end, so maybe that could be the uh, the spirits um, or, or or the influence of the spirit in the oak. Yeah, and if we could get that, that'd be very cool. I th- I think our initial tasting when we when we both had a sip, we both were very surprised, but in in the best way with this one. So I I really enjoy that dram. Yeah, this was a good a good surprise. It's because it's not leaning super strongly in one direction, you know, really sweet, really light, really sherried or anything. So it's it's you know maybe it's a dram I wouldn't think of all the time, depending on what mood I'm in, but. Comparing the nose to the palate, it's very interesting. And yeah, I really like the palate. The balance is is very impressive. Yeah, done well. Whoever was behind this uh, this pure malt. Yes. Or this blended malt. This annoyingly named pure malt yeah. because yeah. we talk about all the stuff with blended malt. That's Scotch whiskey rules. Technically doesn't apply to English whiskey, so they are allowed to do this. It's whoever, whoever put these malts together did a good job. Yeah, hats off to you. And uh, for anyone at Bimba listening, uh, I think... You know, I'll say for both of us, we're big fans of, of what we've just tasted. So if you want to send us anything else, please do. Happy to review. Send us anything else. Not not a pure malt. It's got to be single cask. We're, we're going to be very insistent on this now. Yes, uh, but more than happy to, to give you a review. Indeed. Well, good, good tasting. Good tasting. <laughs> good job, us. Good job, us. 
Yeah, well, um, we like to end our episodes with a question from a listener. In this case, end the series with a question from a listener. And uh, we are very happy that we got one here, which was all about uh, single casks, right? It's a great excuse for us to talk about this all uh, in the sa- at the same time. So, yeah, we have a question uh, from Nicola. Thank you very much, Nicola, um, which uh, let's introduce. Yes, uh, thank you, Nicola. Uh, long-time fan. We, we know that, that she loves listening to the podcast, so uh, thank you very much, Nicola. Yeah, she'll be listening right now, I'm sure, with a lovely glass of red wine in hand, or potentially bimba. We'll see. But uh, yes, uh, the question from Nicola this week is, what are your thoughts on single cask whiskey? If a single cask whiskey has been re-racked into a second cask, is it still technically single cask whiskey? Yeah, because this is this is not a case of I've blended all these whiskeys together, then put them in a single cask, and then called that a single cask. It's I I put new spirit in a barrel, let that age. I then took just that barrel, just that cask, that single cask, put it in a second one. It all transferred the whole thing, and then can you call it a single cask, right? Yeah, I, I think that is the question. So is it it like is it still technically a single cask whiskey? if it's been re-racked into a second cask. Yeah, so this is this is a little f- philosophical conundrum. Uh, maybe part of this is all, almost vibes and opinion because, again, single cask is not like a legally protected term, um, at least not specifically within Scotch whiskey regulations. I'm kind of too in two minds about this, but I'm leaning one particular way. But I did ask a few people at the uh, the unknown, unnamed distillery for their opinions, and it was a... It was a roughly 60-40 split in favor of one way, and that's the way that I'm tending to lean. For me, the liquid produced uh, at any distillery is produced in batches. You can only produce so much liquid in a, in a, in, in a day, and, you can, and all of that liquid, all of the regulations, all the requirements for HMRC in Scotland, for example, you can only release them in certain batches. If you put a certain batch of whiskey into one cask and it's just that one cask and then you decide to re-rack it, it's still the same liquid from one batch. And so even though you're re-racking it into a second cask, I'm st- I'm kind of leaning towards it being still a single cask because if, if you like take all of that liquid, it's still the same liquid, but you've moved all the same liquid into a second cask. Yeah, if you want to get really strict about it, you know, single being one is it doesn't meet that requirement. But for me, single in this particular case could mean one batch. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think I am more inclined, yeah, in that direction to sort of agree with what you're saying here that it is still a single cask. And I mean, I did pull up, you know, there's some opinions on the internet. Um, you got there's there's a website called Wikipedia which very firmly claims that yes, a single cask whiskey can also be finished. It can be re-racked into something else to give it a cask finish, and you can still call it single cask. Yeah, I think if you really haven't, you know, mixed in any new whiskey with that, when you do the transfer into a second cask, I th- it could be misleading. On the one hand, it's very easy to explain on the bottle. You could very easily say, look, it was a single, we took a single bourbon cask and we put it in a different single bourbon cask or something. I don't know. It wouldn't be that hard to explain, but it's one of these things where because single cask isn't very strictly defined, you don't have to tell people. How transparent do you want to be? How transparent should you be? I would like places to be more transparent. I think 
you could still call it single cask. I would like if they were required to tell you that they'd re-racked it like that. But yeah, I think the the current terminology just it just doesn't really cover this kind of case. Yeah, it's 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 a weird one. And and again, like I can, I can see the argument that you know single cask, as in the word single, it really is just the one. Is just one because I mean we think of single malt being from one distillery. Again, I'm leaning more towards single being batch release, but but I mean then that that opens up another can of worms. Being you know what is a batch? Like how much is yeah. produced in a batch? Yeah, I mean talking of annoying terminology, there's yeah I, I, we used to get people right in the Scotch whiskey experience who would understandably be confused when some whiskies they will name some distilleries will name a particular expression a regular, straightforward, kind of, you know, as it were, mass-produced expression, they will call it the small batch or something because small batch is not legally defined. So you can call any whiskey small batch if you want. And that sounds like the same thing as kind of single cask, but it just isn't. <laughs> yeah, I always found it quite funny when you look at the back of the bottle and, you know, small batch, and it's, you know, this is one bottle out of 12,000 bottles. It's like, well, how, how small does a batch need to be? <laughs> exactly. There's no, there's no limit. It's like, how big is a heap, right? There, you know, there's, there's no definition of what is a small batch and no point is it yeah. called the big batch, you know? So yeah, to take, you know, single cask we've talked about does have some, you know, definition to it, even though arguably it could do with a bit more. If you see small batch on something, to be honest, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It could. It could be quite a small batch. But to be honest, a single cask is much more likely to be small to a certain extent because, as we said earlier, there's a hard limit on how big a single cask can be. So whether you see that as small or not, which you probably should, that's you know, that does set a limit in a way that just writing small batch in a bottle doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I still think it's a single cask because it's it's the single batch but you know again there's there are very loose definitions and loose terminology in this but yeah for me i'm leaning more towards that way yeah the short the short answer to nicholas question is yes (laughs) can you can you call a single cask if you do this yes we think so it's not a settled question but obviously our opinion is the only one that matters of course but uh, for for anyone else that does have an opinion on this if you do want to uh write in let us know Leave a comment. Yeah, if we're wrong, you know, tell us why we're wrong. If we're wrong, we're wrong. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nicola, for making us think about something potentially contentious. <laughs> thank you very much, Nicola. Appreciate the question. Look forward to having a glass of red with you soon. Absolutely. We may get, get, get you on for an episode at some point. Because, yeah, one of our aims for season two is to have a bunch of guests. And that is, I think, the end of season one of Eurowhisky. Dun, dun, dun. That's a, maybe that's too dramatic. Thank you very much to everyone who has listened to these first nine episodes, who has shared them, who has asked questions. Uh, it really means a lot, you know, that you're having fun with us, learning about whiskey and uh, listening along to something which is very new and we're both still learning how to make podcasts. We're certainly better at it now. Um, hopefully we'll be even better when we don't have all these tech issues to worry about. Oh, yeah. But uh, no, seriously, uh, thank you to everyone for listening. This has been a, a great first season. Thank you to Harry for putting up with all of my random bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> nah, not at all. And uh, yeah, thank you to Stuart for, you know, uh, it's the Euro Whiskey podcast. And, uh, you know, I sort of had, we, we had this idea earlier this year. And then, yeah, thank you, Stuart, for being, being willing to come along and 
talk about European whiskey as as part of the the process of stealthily sneaking uh, Australia into Europe. Uh, again, we're, we're part of Eurovision. Yeah, I guess I mean, you're technically already there, but you know we have to legitimize it. So that's why. You're- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's this is the goal of the podcast to legitimize Australia as part of Europe. Yeah, that's that's been the entire goal the whole time. Yeah, and I hope I hope you guys this, uh, listening have had as much fun as we have. And yeah, we're going to be back with new whiskies. Oh, uh, with guests, with uh, hopefully some better production quality. We can do our best on that. So leave us your questions. Check out Ripper underscore whiskeys on Instagram. Check out Euro whiskeys on Instagram. And also check out the Euro whiskey website. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Single, 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 single. You have to listen. You must listen. Just like us chatting shit. Don't do it. Uh, I don't know how do I'm going to intro this. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't listened to too much Hamilton. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's making it to the to the cut at the end. <laughs> the outtakes. If you can dodge a dram, you can dodge a ball. Wait, who's dodging drams? Doctor's orders. <laughs> Doctor's orders. I prescribe you a dram. There's always a fruit. Um, I like that theory, but <laughs> I agree with Harry. The rigidity uh, I find is is a good thing, but I'm leaning one particular way. I am more inclined, yeah, in that direction. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, does it f- you off? Off. You have uh, anything to add? Four plus five equals nine. I mean, episode nine. Four plus five equals nine. There you go. An attempt was made. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I come from a land